Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Mark Stefanski, who will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Mark, what's up? Hey, it's good to be here. I, I appreciate you sitting down. And for those of you listening, this is a uh, this is a continued piece in our uh, trip to California. We went from the uh, Silicon Prairie to the Silicon Valley. Going to make a little visit to TechCrunch, and along the way, uh, stop to visit some interesting technology. Solution finders. That's the way you're supposed to say that, right? Yeah, that's it. You nailed it. So in our ever dying effort to find the most interesting people and businesses for you today, we will be talking about the Internet of Things for waste. That's right. That's uh, that's the space that uh, that Compology is in. So hit me with some questions. Yeah, I'm gonna, and I'm going to get there because there's so there's so much garbage that I need to take out here, and so many so many things that uh, oh man, um, can you handle the dumpster fire that's known as my life on many days? Is that part of the solution that you find? We deal with all things waste related, <laughs> so yeah, that's in our purview, definitely. So for those of you listening, uh, once again, live from the valley. Now I want you to be interactive, so. Go find your computer, look up your phone, and go to Compology. That's C-O-M-P-O-L-O-G-Y dot com. You can learn a lot more about what Mark and his company does. Now, Mark's the VP of software. Uh, he's got a pretty storied history with development of all different kinds of things. Uh, you're native to the Bay Area. Is this all correct? That's right. So so we're going to get into that. So how, how exactly do you get into an Internet of Things business for garbage? Uh, the short answer is by chance. And there's a little bit of a story behind how I got into, into software. Can I tell the story? Yeah, please. All right. We, so want, we want the backstory of, 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 yeah. Of how it went down. All right. Well, here, here it goes. Uh, we'll start in fall 2010. I started as a uh, electrical engineering master's student at Stanford, and I was looking for a part-time job to pay my tuition. And back then, um, all the electrical engineering students at Stanford would get these periodic emails from companies looking for, for people to, to work for them. And most of these emails had the same sort of format, you know, the, the company logo at the top of the email, a photo of the company at an offsite drinking wine or something in Napa or playing ping pong or foosball or something like that, everyone having fun. And then there's the obligatory paragraph below about how the company's going to change the world and, you know, big font, hey, you know, join us exclamation point. And one day I get a recruiting email that's very different than that. Um, it's plain text, no company logo. In fact, the email didn't even describe what the company did. It was just three job descriptions. And so I look at this and I'm, I'm kind of suspicious because it's unlike any recruiting email I had gotten at Stanford. But one of the job descriptions pretty perfectly described me. So I thought, okay, I'll... Uh, I'll send my resume, see what happens. I send my resume, get an email back saying, hey, you know, Mark, come, come interview with us at this address. And at this point, I still have no idea what this company does. I just know it has a part-time job open that describes me pretty well. So, you know, I get on 
my, my, my nicest clothes at the time and, and bike over to this address to interview. And I get to the address and it's, it's a residence in Palo Alto. It's just a house, you know? And so I, I, I think to myself, I'm messing this up. You know, I, I went, I went to the wrong address. This is my, my first real interview. I've already screwed it up. I haven't even answered a question. You know? Or you might get killed somewhere in someone's private residence. Who that, knows? Yeah. that was also a possible outcome. Right, right, you right. know, only just a range of bad outcomes at that point. So, you know, I kind of walked in circles for a bit and decided I had no other option than to just knock on the door and see if anyone knew anything. So I go up to this door, this house, I knock, I wait. And uh, after a bit, this older lady opens the door. She's wearing a, a nightgown. So I infer that I had woken her up from a nap. So I immediately apologize for waking her up. I say, I'm so sorry. It's been a mix up. I was sent to this address for an interview, clearly the wrong address. I'm so sorry. And then she stops me and says, oh, you said interview. Actually, I, I think you're at the right place. You're just supposed to go through the side gate and go, go to the back of the house. So I'm kind of surprised that someone knows something. So I say, okay, thank you. Sorry, sorry again for, for waking you up. And I, I walk through the side gate and um, the view from the side gate was something I'll, I'll never forget. It was a standalone garage in the back of this property in, in, in Palo Alto. And the standalone garage had a garage door with windows in it. And you could look into the windows and see all these flat panel displays, people just coding away. I thought to myself, how many people are in there? You know, from from that vantage point, I, I probably couldn't tell, but I, I ended up learning it was something like a dozen people in, this garage. in a garage. Yeah, in a garage in Palo Alto, and it, that that was my thought at the time. You know, it doesn't get much more classic than this. You know, sure. Interview at a at a no name stealth startup working out a garage in uh, in the back of a house in Palo Alto. So. To, to move ahead a little bit in the story, I end, up, I end up interviewing and this whole time, they don't tell me what this company's working on. And um, even when I get my offer to work part-time, a contracting agreement, still not told what this company's working on, but I'm getting what I want. I just want a part-time job to make some money, get some work experience, and pay my tuition. So I'm not asking too many questions. I go, I go in to sign my contracting agreement. And after that, they, they finally tell me what they're working on. And my imagination had been running wild. I mean, I'm this, you know, kind of naive uh, junior developer still in school. And I'm imagining this company, you know, building a next generation missile, you know, or there's, you know, some sort of outfit for the CIA. So, so wait, you signed the offer and you still didn't know? Well, I signed the offer, not knowing what this company did, thinking it was something just incredibly clandestine, you know, and exciting. And then once, you know, the ink was drying, uh, the, the, my hiring manager told me, okay, I'll tell you what we're working on now. You just can't tell anybody sworn to secrecy. We're working on a thermostat. And I, I could not have been less impressed. I could not have been less impressed. I thought you were keeping all the secret. You're building all this up For because you're working on a yeah. freaking thermostat. And so I just thought, okay, that's fine. You know, uh, this is a, this is the kind of part-time job I wanted, but I'm not sure why everyone's getting so worked up about this thermostat. And that's basically how I, I, I got introduced to Nest. That's how I got my start there as, as a, as a part-time contractor. Well, and let's not speed through the thrilling conclusion. Nest, who is a major player in changing the way that we heat our homes, you know, now I, I want to give some context. So 2010, that was the year for that, right? 
Yeah, it was all fall okay. 2010. That was like iPhone 3, maybe 2. And you know better than me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's close because, I mean, think about that. That's that's about the time that things were going. And, you know, like Android had been out for like a year or so. And, and you know, while it, and things online were were the wild west you know that the e-commerce had been out there the internet was no longer going to be a fad at this point and you look at something like nest and the internet of things now that would have made you one of the early adopters in that whole form of technology now was that the kind of talk that was going on in the garage at the time it was like we're going to change the world or was it like what i mean you said you were unimpressed with the thermostat option. So how did they get you excited about it? Or when did you say, wow, this is really great, great stuff. So it's, it's funny you bring that up because um, in the, the kitchen of this, of this uh, small office, um, there was a, a TechCrunch article that someone had printed out and posted on the wall. And the headline of this article at the time, this was, this was 2010, was something along the lines of, uh, why you'll never see another successful hardware startup come out of Silicon Valley again. So someone at Nest had come across this article, printed it out, put it up on the wall as a sign that you know um, people were underappreciating the opportunity in hardware at the time. Um, so how do you know? So given all that, uh, how did I get excited about about Nest and end up taking a full time offer? Um, you know, I I had no intention of joining. Nest full-time. In fact, I had no concept of it. I was there just to earn money to pay my tuition and finish my master's. So when uh, my future hiring manager pulled me aside and, and, and gave me a full-time offer, I was, I was shocked. Um, but I very quickly realized that I would end up dropping out of school and taking this offer, even before I had really had any time to sleep on it. And that's, just, that's because I realized this was such a unique opportunity. I was working with such accomplished and, and talented people, and I knew I would maybe never get the opportunity to do that sort of thing again. So I, I took it and, and uh, never looked back. So, and, and we're definitely going to get, get, gonna get into compology, but I love the backstory here. You know, any, any compelling story in general has a great backstory. It has a hero, it has disruption, it has problems we're trying to solve. There's a journey. And, you know, this was your journey to where you're at right now. Now, later, Nest ended up being acquired by Google. Do you know what year that was, like, offhand? I'm sure you do. I don't, I can't think of it. It was five or six years ago, right? Yeah, February 2014. Okay, so you were four years in at this point. Um, now, I, I would imagine that that was an exciting moment for you at the company, along with everyone there. Was that, like, a level of validation that reigned supreme? Like, I mean, what... Everyone listening loves to know about what that victory feels like. I mean, was that is that the way it was? Uh, very interesting question. You know, you might be surprised because my emotions were actually pretty mixed at the time. Yeah, I was going to say, because some people might not like that. And, and I'm just curious, like, what's going on behind the scenes there? Now, if you can't talk about part of that, too, I get that. But I'll, I'll talk. Yeah, yeah sure, talk. sure. Spill the beans. Spill the beans. So, you know, I won't speak for anyone else. I'll just speak for myself. Um, you know, I, I had no expectation that at around that time, Nest would be acquired for a couple of reasons. So one was, I think everyone there felt that we were on the rise. Sure. Uh, everything was going really, really well. We're having a lot of success. And uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone, perhaps besides the executive team, was really thinking about an acquisition. 
we didn't have a heads up about it. And we certainly didn't expect that the acquirer would be Google because uh, so many, because the founders of Nest and so many of the employees had come from Apple. And there seemed to be a little bit of a kind of anti, uh, anti-Google bias there. But, you know, it, when it was announced, it was, uh, you know, made me think a lot of things. One was uh, I realized that I was in a much more stable position in my career at that point, um, you know, working for a big, big tech company. Um, but at the same time, this, this dream of what the startup could become had kind of come to a conclusion. And that's, that's kind of hard to let go of, that, that dream of, of uh, all the possibilities of what your startup can be. So I had, I had conflicting emotions at the time. You know, the, and the reason that, that I asked related to that, if you, you know, Matt Watson isn't able to be here today, but, uh, you know, he exited a company that started Vent Solutions in 2012 for a, for a $150 million exit. And he, he refers to the whole thing as anticlimactic. You know, there they are, they're, they're on this ride every day and it's like ups and downs and like all this crazy shit going on. And then one day it's just not happening. Now you, you continued working for Google at that point. Now, were you a Google employee at that point or a Nest employee or? Oh, it got complicated. We might have to bring in a lawyer to figure it out because there was Google and there's Alphabet and then we were more formally absorbed into Google, but some combination of Nest employee and Google employee. So you started with a thermostat, but your current technology at Compology, and, and for those of you listening, once again, go check out Compology, C-O-M-P-O-L-O-G-Y.com. Uh, this is some unique stuff, and you're going to want to stick around and listen to what they're doing, because you know, the, the thing that always amazes me and what I love traveling out of my own market is, you know, there's 10 million solutions to all these problems that people are solving everywhere and like things I never would have thought of. But your current technology at Compology uses uh, artificial intelligence and cameras. So did you start getting your experience with the camera technology because of the products that Nest makes with video or is that completely separate? You know, a little bit. I worked a little bit on the Nest cams we were we were making at, at Nest. Um, but I can't say I got familiar with computer vision until I joined Compology, and sure. we have some uh, really, really smart people on the team. A great machine learning lead who's, who's taught me a lot about all that. So uh, it, it's not the case that I, I brought a lot of this expertise with me. I uh, I really learned a lot about it after joining Compology. Sure. So and let, let's go ahead. So and we'll kind of speed up through that. You ended up being a lead developer at Google. Yeah, I th- that's one one title you could use. Yeah, I, I feel like that's not the worst thing to have on your <laughs> resume. Um, you know, the, one of the things that's really surprised me, and this is, we've been on a bit of a of a podcast recording bench today, but some of, some of the folks that I've been talking to out here, um, I felt like the the competition with companies like Google for finding talent would be fierce and relentless and almost impossible. And I and we'll get into this in a little bit, but I was really surprised with some of the answers. So we'll, we'll maybe save that for when I ask you the same question. So all of this leads into a startup that is the internet of things for waste in general. So how did you end up in that? You know, you're like, you know what, my trash can it's, it's, it's over 70% full. And if something could just tell me or take this out for me, like, I mean, I'm really dying to know how you end up in, in that. So 
for a few reasons. One is I, I do like working on technical problems that are kind of overlooked. At the time we were working on thermostats and smoke detectors, mm -hmm. certainly uh, at Nest, those products were, were overlooked, especially in Silicon Valley. I feel like much the same is true about trash tech or waste tech today. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, motivated people work on these problems. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm one of those people. Um, but, you know, Compology also had a lot of things that I was looking for in uh, my post Google job. I wanted to go back to a hardware startup. I think it's interesting to be working at a place that has people working on hardware, firmware, as well as cloud services. I like that mix of people, that, that mix of technical problems. So Compology had that. Um, I thought the product was important. The more I learned about the impact the product had on the real world, which not all products here in Silicon Valley have, uh, I got really interested. And then when I met all the people at Compology, I thought, yeah, these are people I have a lot of fun working with. Sure. And, you know, to the, the point that I just referenced and, you know, coming out here, I figured, you know, Google, Facebook, Amazon, a lot of these companies, they kind of just buy up all the talent and talking to some of the other folks that, and, and so we're back at Lemnos Labs today. And this is where we earlier sat down with, uh, with Mufi from Electrify and, you know, they're part of a, of a local accelerator that brought us to you. Um, that's, you know, and thanks for the intro, Mufi. This is interesting stuff. Um, but you know, the other folks that we talked to today, I said, how do you compete with Google and, and some of these other companies to get talent? And basically the universal answer has been, well, we ask people if they'd want to make a difference and, and I, and it's an obvious answer. It makes a lot of sense. Like, and I'm not, I don't want to downplay what anybody, I use Facebook every day. I think the world does, you know, but it really was a powerful answer that I heard a couple times. Is that a similar recruitment method that you go through when it comes to finding talent? That is actually something I'm, I'm hoping to use. It's a, it's a good, uh, good thing to bring up when I'm talking to folks coming from big companies. You know, um, for, for my part, I was interested in working at a smaller company like, like Compology because uh, when I was at Google, I found that it would take so many people to see through even a medium-sized project. So you might have three dozen people working on a project at Google that at Compology, we'd have maybe just two or three people working on. And uh, when I was at Google, I, I missed that kind of uh, that, that problem solving with a small team where everyone is playing multiple roles instead of having, you know, this much bigger team where everyone's playing a very specialized role. So that's, that's what really drew me to, to go back to working at a startup. And that's one of the things I bring up when I'm talking to candidates who are bigger companies. You know, you can just do so much more as one person at a startup than you often can at a big company like Google. I think one of the mistakes that, you know, I see people make and I talk to a lot of our clients and you can't necessarily solve a problem faster by throwing more people at it. There are some things you can. Um, software isn't always one of those. You know, Warren Buffett was really famous for the saying nine women can't make a baby in a month. And I think that that goes the same way with software. And that's kind of what you just described. Um, it, it is interesting, the level of, of, you know, you get to a point where the team becomes so big that you could actually slow things down. Um, as someone that, you know, could offer advice about building stuff, I mean, do you stick firm with that? Or do you think that, that there are situations where a huge team can make a baby in, in one month? 
Yeah, interesting. You know, what I will say is, you know, if I, if I picture myself being back at Google on one of these several dozen person uh, projects, I think anyone working on one of those projects would say, gosh, it's hard to see how we could get all this done with half as many people. Because right now with three dozen people working on it, we're all working pretty hard. But then you go to a startup and you're kind of forced to do as much work with way fewer people and you figure it out. And I, and I love that part of it because it, it pushes everyone on the team to do more than, than they really thought they could. So I, that, that's one of the reasons I, I, I like working at a startup. I feel like everyone uh, ends up learning that they can do more than they thought and they can play a wider variety of roles than they thought. Maybe have a, a, a higher feeling of ownership in, in, the, in the issues. So, you know, now back to Compology. And it, since you're already on the website checking out what they do, make sure to go over to the social media. It's pretty much at Compology about anywhere you can figure it out. Now, because I'm really bad at running my own show, I do need to point out that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by my business, Fullscale.io. So since you're already on the internet, following things and liking stuff, um, you know, stop by and see what we do. So you mentioned computer vision and computer vision is pretty high level technology. And realistically, a trash can is not, right? A dumpster is not, I mean, these are, these are things that have been, I mean, I, I'd like to think the Romans probably had waste baskets and, and trash receptacles and bins. So how do you mix one? And for, you know, for those of you listening, after you're done listening to this, go back and check out the episode we did on computer vision uh, with where we interviewed Joel Tepley, who's really just a mad scientist when it comes to this stuff. I mean, these things involve neural nets and just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so one of the highest, most cutting edge forms of technology combined with one of the more classic things. So how do you find, how do you find a, you know, how do you put these two things together to solve the problem that you guys tackle? Well, I, I, I like this combination of, um, old school methods, old school technology, if you want to call a dumpster that with something very modern, um, I see, when I look at a dumpster, I see an opportunity to introduce technology into, you know, a space and industry that could really use a lot more of it. Um, so I, I like, I like working at companies or in industries where there's a real need for more technology. And in some, in some industries and in some spaces, there are already a lot of people developing technology and others like waste and recycling, not so many. And I feel like there are more opportunities there to have an impact. So I, I, I like working in, in, in spaces like that. So let's talk about how you guys solve the problem. Like where, where are you using your technology? And what can I guess? Yeah, yeah, guess away. So trash trucks are big and they use a lot of fuel. They use a lot of gas. Um, they use labor and stuff like that. And so I've had buildings, uh, I've owned my own real estate in the past. and I've had a dumpster and they come pick that thing up every Wednesday whether there's one bag of trash in it or whether it's filled to the brim. So it, if I guess that you would maybe not come pick those up when there's nothing in them, is that part of the solution or am I wrong? It's definitely part of what our, uh, what our customers use Compology for. Yes. Yeah. Right on. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I, think, I think you're one for one. That's all I got. That's I all know. I got. Who's keeping track? That's just yeah, me. You're hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, and if you could let everyone else know that. 
whenever you speak about me, that'd be great. You've gotten A plus so far. Thank you. The first time that's ever happened to you. So, all right. So let, but let's get into the overall, like the, the comprehensive solution, like where, where are you guys just changing all of it? Like, I mean, it, and, I, and we don't have to get into the technical part of it as much as maybe just like the basic, like one pager, Hey, here's the problem. Here's our solution. So let me, let me focus on one thing in particular, because there are actually a, a number of problems that Compology helps solve. And frankly, a number of different uh, customers that use our technology in different ways, but I'll, I'll focus on one thing to make it more concrete. So I'll focus on our, our contamination recognition technology. This is technology that automatically spots certain kinds of non-recyclable material in recycling dumpsters. So a good example of that is a, a plastic bag and a cardboard container. And the reason that technology is important and is, is really changing the way our customers run their operations is that without Compology, what our customers will do, our waste haulers will do, is they'll pick up every container on a recycling route. And we know that not everyone's good at recycling. So a lot of those containers, a lot of those dumpsters are going to have contamination, non-recyclable material. So this truck is going to fill up with all this recyclable material, including the contamination. It's going to take it to what's called a materials recovery facility. It's going to drop all that off there. Someone at the materials recovery facility is going to sort through this, this, uh, this mound of, of material and either accept it or reject it, in which case it all has to be picked up and taken to the landfill and disposed of uh, for a fee. What our customer can, what our, a waste hauler customer of ours can do with Compology is they can put the sensor in each one of those containers and our sensors, our cloud platform, telling our customer which containers have contamination, which ones don't. So before a truck is even dispatched, our customer knows which containers have pure recycled material and which ones have contamination. So the recycling truck will pick up the containers with the pure recycled material. Our customer knows that when that truck gets to the materials recovery facility, it's going to, all that material is going to be accepted and they'll get recycling credits for it. <clears throat> and then they can go to the, the waste generators, the restaurants, the hotels, the businesses that are contaminating, show them the photo evidence of contamination, say, we, we couldn't pick this up with our recycling truck because you don't have recyclable material in here, you're contaminating. So they can do a number of things. They can assess a fine or give a warning, but either way they can, they have the evidence they need to work with those waste generators to rectify the way they recycle. So if you play this out, our customer, the waste hauler gets a cleaner recycling stream. The waste generators that are putting the waste in all those dumpsters get an education in how to recycle. And we end up just recycling more material. So the recyclable material you throw in a dumpster, that's going to end up at the materials recovery facility and not sent to a landfill because someone else contaminated that load. So I don't even, you, there's so many things that you just don't even realize go on. Like I, this is, I am now aware that if I put something like you talk about the contamination, so they literally won't accept that load at all. Like there's a chance that that won't be accepted into the recycling facility. And now the waste hauler has to just take it and throw it to the dump. Yeah. It's, it's terrible for everybody. The waste hauler was expecting recycling credits right. for all this recycling material. Instead, they have to pay to dispose of it at the, at the landfill. And you just forced a bunch of recyclable material into the landfill. Exactly. Think about that, people. Are you, are you hitting the right, the right trash can with that? That's, God, that's so crazy. It's, it, I think there's so many things about the world 
that you look at and you're like, I, I never would have thought of that. Um, and, and, you know, today's been very enlightening in that regard. Like, you know, when we talk to one of your, so you're with Lemnos Labs and that's a, and it's just an accelerator of sorts, or you were with them. Um, and, and that's, is, is that, that was a few years ago, right? Yeah. This is before my time at Compology, but yeah, Compology was sure. part of the Lemnos accelerator. And I, I think we've since graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe we never graduated <laughs> from, from our partnerships with people, but you know, so what, and this is a really cool place. So I was, I was painting a, a bit of a word picture with it earlier. This is a bit of a maker space here. And I know this isn't where you guys keep most of your office, but you know, I was sitting down with, with Mufi from Electrify and we were talking about some of the, the problems that they solve and they're similar. They're, they're related to the environment, but I had never even considered the fact that if the world were to completely switch over to electric cars, like from today to tomorrow, we would have a completely different set of problems related to our ability to manage the electric grid and just do different stuff like that. And, and I think that there's so many, so many things look, Climate change is real. It's not a myth created by the Startup Hustle podcast. I never would never would say that, but this is, these are real issues and real problems, and there's no silver bullet solution that's going to fix any of these. It's, it's startups and innovators like you guys. I mean, you think about that, like how many, I can only imagine how many loads of contaminated garbage or trash end up in the wrong places. Um, so what are some of the challenges that come up with that? Because if, you, if you're having to monitor the waste bins and stuff like that, is part of the problem trying to get people to actually care and take the expense of putting this kind of monitoring equipment? Or is it that expensive for the waste haulers that it's worth it for them to do it? So I think the short answer is that it's, it's well worth it for the waste haulers. We have a few customers that are using our contamination product already, and they're, they're seeing great results. Um, I don't have the numbers on hand, but we have some results showing that the amount of contamination uh, in, in one of our in one of our customers' territories decreased significantly because of the installation of our cameras. So, so we're we're seeing some really nice results. How much how much sense this makes to each waste hauler kind of depends on what municipality they serve because the regulations are different in each place. So I can't say that you know. Uh, this has a positive return on investment in every single town and, and city in the United States, but where it's been deployed, it's been you know, phenomenally successful. Yeah, I mean, we're running out of places to put the stuff, people. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And uh, there's, there's so much, I don't know, man, it's uh, what was the movie, uh, Idiocracy or something where it, it, there are 100 years in the future and we just live on top of our own garbage. And, you know, we don't really give a lot of consideration to that. And, you know, we pick fights with foreign countries that often take the garbage for us and now they're not and, and stuff like that. So, all right. Um, you told a funny story about the garage in Palo Alto and we're here in Silicon Valley. And I and, and recently, mainly because I was bored, I, uh, I rewatched the show Silicon Valley. And uh, there was a very uh, there was a, an interesting part where Jin Yang had created an app that could identify hot dogs. And it's really kind of funny because it's like hot dog or not hot dog. So how difficult and challenging has it been to train and teach a camera to recognize a specific type of garbage over something else? Like, how do you even wrap your arms around that? 
So it's, it's interesting. And, because... and do you spend a lot of time playing with garbage as a result of this? <laughs> I'll get to that last question in a second. <laughs> um, yeah, I have, a, I have a garbage play date later uh, as, as part of my know. job. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, I have two answers to your, to your computer vision question running through my head. Uh, one is uh, it's obviously you know, very difficult to get this sort of technology to work well. Um, it takes a lot of expertise, a lot of research, and a lot of training data. On the other hand, we're very lucky to have um, some great engineers on the team, in particular, a really strong machine learning lead who all make it look easy. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're tasked with actually building one of these machine learning models, you know, there's a lot that goes in it. Um, but if you're someone like me who has the benefit of having an amazing team, sometimes it can look, it can look uh, um, deceptively easy to make this work. And so once again, if you get a chance, uh, go back down the feed and check out. We did a, a friend of mine, Joel Tepley, is a, is I, I call him a nationwide leading open CV engineer. He's got over a decade of experience. And while it's been around for a while, not many people will have 10 years of experience with that kind of tech. And um, they, they do something different. They make SDKs that paint companies use. So they literally have created a neural net that um, will scan a room and help you pick the color of your paint. And it, while something like that sounds fairly straightforward on the front, when he gets into explaining the complexities of how a neural net works, I mean, this is literally computer code and a platform that is mimicking the calculations that your mind makes. And, you know, just talking about the complexity of working with technology like that and like why a computer doesn't inherently recognize the depth of a corner in a picture because it, uh, you know, prior to computer vision and you can look it up, open CV or computer vision is, you know, technology. And I believe that's open source on some level, isn't it? Yeah. So you kind of decide what you're going to do with it, but he starts talking about the complexity of it. And then also just like the, the, the complex nature of like, so paint looks different when it's not in direct light than when it's in the shade. And, you know, so the level, like, how difficult is it for you to find people that can figure out how to do this stuff? Or do you have to train your own experts? Like, do you have to create your own experts? Well, there, there are two routes. I've seen it work both ways. Uh, you can find engineers who've studied machine learning uh, and take them right out of school. And, you know, hopefully they have enough real world experience to apply what they've learned in school at, at, in, uh, at a company. Um, in our case at Compology, I don't believe any of the engineers on the team have had too much formal training in machine learning. Um, a lot of these engineers are just really smart and have picked it up on their own. And that's actually worked really, really well for us. I'm, I'm very happy with the way all of our machine learning features perform. Um, so I, you know, I think you, you, you can make it work both ways. You can find someone who's eager to pick up machine learning um, and, and end up with a strong, you know, machine learning capability, or, you know, you could find someone who's already already studied it just for different approaches and you get the same result. Is there anybody in the city that's building anything that doesn't involve machine learning? Cause that seems, that, that seems to be like, you know, everywhere we go. And I was joking with Breland, our show producer about this and, and, you know, coming back, taking a break in between recording this and talking to uh, so, you know, it's interesting when we go different places, the types of problems that people are solving. And uh, I mean, I'm the founder of a platform 
gigabook. I mean, we can help you set an appointment. I'm not changing the world. You know, that's a, and, and, but it's so interesting, the level of complexity, like there's actually like a stupid level of complexity when it comes to scheduling. It's not about putting an item on a calendar. It's about the 10 million things that can happen after where all that software needs to connect to and all these other things. So, and where I'm going with that is it's really easy as a startup or someone who's building anything to get hung up on a bunch of crap that doesn't matter when you're, when you're building it. So, I mean, we're sitting, so folks, I want you to listen up here. And after you've gone to compology.com and learned more about, about Mark and his company, I want you to, to really think about what he's about to tell you when it comes to determining what's important to build in a minimally viable product or an advanced type product. Like you have to be able to offer some, some uh, pretty good advice for those listening. Yeah, so maybe I'll start with what um, what kind of products I like to to work on, and then we can talk about what makes it what makes it viable. Sure. Um, you know, I like to think that I've worked on products that the world really needs. And you have. And I don't want to sound yeah. sappy or anything, uh, but it's something I think about a lot. I'll say I... it for you: you've worked on a lot of stuff that that's in. I mean, I have Nest, all kinds of Nest. I don't have Compology yet. I might. I think it's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, you're doing doing stuff that makes a difference. So. We'll, we'll, we'll get you a dumpster camera. Yeah, after, yeah I like it. I like it. I like it. You know, it, to 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 explain that a little bit, you know, I think I think the world needs thermostats that aren't wasting energy heating and cooling a house when everyone's gone at, at work at school or, or people on vacation, you know, the world needs that kind of product, especially with, you know, all, everything we've already talked about regarding global warming. Um, you know, I think the world needs a sensor that goes in a dumpster that uh, helps waste haulers obtain a cleaner recycling stream. I think that's important. I think, you know, millions of dumpsters uh, in, in North America should have this technology and it should spread around the globe. I think the, the world would, will be better off because of it. So I, I kind of go through that thought exercise whenever I'm considering working on something new. And so far, I feel like I've, I've worked on stuff that, that really matters that the, the world really needs. And uh, that's a test that I'm gonna continue applying as I, as I move forward in my career. So what, what, what's something that a young hopeful needs to avoid when trying to determine that? Like, I mean, basically what I heard there was, okay, look, if it can make a difference on a large scale, then, it may, then there you go, you might be onto something. But so many people are building things like it's hard to look at your own stuff. Like, is your solution something that I, I don't know? I think sometimes you have to consider like, well, maybe some of it's along the lines of, you know, what what makes you happy? What makes you feel like you've you've taken a win? And, you know, not every software platform has to be has to have a billion users in it. Maybe if you're solving the problem you're looking to solve, you're making a difference on on your level. But at the same time, I, I try to prohibit or try to help people prevent making mistakes that for, you know, some things don't, aren't market, don't have a market viability and, or they're just things that are great in principle, but can't be monetized. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, do you think that, that, I, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious as we kind of finish, finish up our episode here, if, if you had to go back and tell the young Mark that was replying to the cryptic email for, and that's an interesting story, by the way. I mean, that really is, I wouldn't have replied to that email. I would have deleted it. I would have been like, 
uh, put it in, I would have put it in the trash heap right next to the one that I keep getting that says that I have a great opportunity to receive products and reship them. Um, you know, and maybe there's another one about trying to smuggle some money out of Nigeria. Um, but what would you go back and, and tell, tell yourself if you, if you were taking a different path, like what, what's some advice for, for the young hopeful? Just be open to anything that's not part of your plan. So obviously, maybe, maybe not obviously, but that's great advice. Working, actually. working yeah. on thermostats, you know, truth be told was never part of my plan when sure. I was in college. Yeah. Um, after I started working on thermostats at Nest, moving on to waste and recycling, container monitoring wasn't exactly part of my plan either. Um, but I was open to where my career took me and I seized opportunities when they came my way. And uh, I'm really glad I did. So if I did it all over again, I'd probably have the same openness to, to new opportunities and, and unexpected things. Sure. And you never know where the ride's going to take you. You know, I started the the business that ended up becoming full scale and all this other stuff that I do. I mean, I literally we're here using six copies of my book to stand a microphone up higher. I'm glad we found a good use for my book, but I mean, I started the business accidentally. I, I had no, like, I mean, and we started full scale the same way. Like Matt Watson and I became partners in a different business. And because of this podcast and some of the other things that we were doing, we just listened. I, and I always tell people, listen for the echo. When you hear people asking for a solution or stating a problem over and over and over and over, that means there's an opportunity. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem. Well, there is a problem, but with a problem, there's always an opportunity. And I think the optimist, the realist, and the entrepreneur doesn't just get down by the problem. They get up and they do something about it. Um, and uh, I, I really think it's cool that for, I love the story about the about Nest. So, and I appreciate that. So anyway, as we, as we wrap up, once again, you can go to compology.com. Uh, Mark Stefanski here talking about all that great stuff. Uh, last chance, you got anything you want to say to Startup Hustle Nation? Well, I want to, I want to thank you for the opportunity to chat. Um, you know, this is, this is my first uh, podcast conversation. You did great. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Uh, if you're ever back in town <laughs> and want to hear more stories from me, just, just let me know. I think when we expand to, to the video documentary side of things, I would love to come see your stuff in action. I think there's so many different things. It's, it's hard uh, to, to see physical things. You know, so many people talk about hardware. They call it hardware for a reason because it's hard. It's difficult to, to catch up with. So once again, make sure you like, subscribe, and review the Startup Hustle podcast. Leave a five-star review with something great, and we will call you out. Thank you for everybody that has tuned in for our special trip to the Valley. Uh, we'll, we'll be back in, in the Silicon Prairie before too long. But uh, Mark, thanks again. Thank you, Matt. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.